remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our sermon text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 5, the first five verses. This is what Holy Scripture says. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that of the things that are most important in life, you don't leave us in the dark about those, but you give us instructions and you give us your precepts that we may line up with them. And so here we see how you want us to lead in different ways in your faith family. Elders have responsibilities and then members have responsibilities. And we pray that here at Trace that that would continue. Father, thank you for faithful elders who do faithfully lead according to this text, that they are watching over and they do so willingly, not under compulsion and They don't do so for their own gain, but they do so eagerly for the good of those entrusted to their care. And thank you for so many of our members that joyfully follow that leadership and want the word and are desirous of the word. And I pray that that would only continue to flourish because that's what it looks like in a maturing and healthy congregation. And so I pray that you would grant what we need, not only, Father, to be informed by this text, but to be transformed by this text. That what we learn here, we would live. That we would line up with what your word says. Not our own preferences, but your precepts. And so, Father, I pray that it would be so not just with us, but as we've already prayed for our sister churches, that they too would seek to see what's in your word. That you would, they would then line up with that. But especially as we've just sung, you alone have the words of life. So, Father, grant life through your word today. And show us Christ. Let us see Christ, for indeed, we have no greater shepherd than the chief shepherd. And he is a shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And so, Father, I pray that we would gladly follow the one who gave his life in our place. That we would hear his voice and that we would obey, as he says in John 10. And so thank you for him. Father, thank you for Jim who just prayed. Thank you for blessing he and Candace with Hannah Jane this week. And and I pray that you would provide for them and that you would grant strength each day uh, for them and that you would allow rest. And uh, think about Corey and Chandler as number two is on the way. Father, just for your provision for safe delivery there. God, thank you that you continue to add to this faith family by blessing us with little ones. And we pray that that would continue to increase and with each one you entrust to our care, that we would be good stewards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Be seated just for a moment. We're going to walk through First Peter. If it's your first Sunday with us, we've been walking through First Peter. And today we are in chapter 5. And should the Lord give us next Sunday, uh, Pastor Matthew will pick up with the next part of this and getting us through the remainder of First Peter. And then 
There'll be a Christmas series and then jumping into an Old Testament text. But before we do that, I actually have a baseball here. Funny thing is it rolled on the ground before we got here. But uh, this is signed by Mickey Mantle. And uh, this is something that I purchased for my dad. My dad was a huge Yankees fan. And, uh, and so when he was alive, it was something that I, I came across and purchased for him. And I keep it here on my uh, desk and shelf so that I can... Think of him, think about those things, and Aaron, what I want you to do, buddy, is I want you to take care of this while I'm going through the sermon. I want you to come, and I want you to take care of this. This, this thing may pop off, so be careful with it, but I want to entrust it to your care for our time together, and we'll see how that goes, everybody. It may be skee-ball here in a moment, but uh, we'll see what's there. One more opportunity together as lead pastor, we get to walk through the text and we get to see what it says and then pray for the grace to line up with that. And if we were to put this passage in a sentence, it would be this. It's at the top of your notes that in a healthy church, elders will be shepherding and members will be submitting all while entrusting themselves to God and the word and to the word of his grace. So in a healthy and maturing church, you have elders that are leading, they're shepherding, and you have members that are submitting and they're following that leadership. And then all of that, while elders and members both are entrusting themselves to to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build them up. And it's interesting because obviously not all Baptist churches have had elders. Uh, Actually, we see them in the text. And so question I would have for those that do not is why not? Who are they in your midst? If First Timothy 3 says that there were elders in all of the times that we see New Testament churches. And so as I came here seven years ago, I inherited elders that had been placed uh, in the transition between the previous pastor and my coming to uh, Trace. But it gave us great opportunities to have training to say, what is it that elders should do? Who are they and what should they do? And it's been a blessing to see those elder meetings transition from in the early days so heavy with administrative functions and other aspects but to see the Lord mature deacons and now to have a functional diaconate here at Trace and to be blessed by that so that elders could elder and deacons could deacon and the church could be the church and to grow in maturity and health and as Peter is writing here he's going to give us some truths and so I want to get you to the first truth it's that in God's flock elders have the responsibility to shepherd for the people's good and for God's glory and not just their own gain so elders have the responsibility to shepherd for the people's good and God's glory and not just their own gain Peter writes and he says so and he's picking up of from where Matthew shared with us last week. Obviously, this suffering, that, that they're suffering, that they're experiencing. And so in a time of suffering, sometimes we can turn on each other. We can turn against each other. And so even in light of what you guys are experiencing out there, he says, I want you to know, here, here's what you still do together in the church. These are your roles. And so he exhorts them. And look at how he exhorts them as a fellow elder. So he doesn't write as an apostle coming down on them he writes as one who's an elder in the fight with them i know what it's like to shepherd and sometimes sheep bite and sometimes sheep stink and sometimes sheep don't want to do anything or lead the way they think they they know a better way he says look i'm an elder among you i deal with sheep in jerusalem and whoo they're rough in jerusalem right and so he says i'm a, a fellow elder he says i'm a witness of the sufferings of christ and there are two ways that we could understand this Obviously, he saw all that occurred with Christ's death, resurrection, these sorts of things. But also Acts 1-8, where Jesus himself says, you will be my witnesses. 
What Peter could mean by this is, I'm a witness with you. I'm in the fight with you for advancing the gospel. So I'm shepherding alongside you. I'm one who's witnessing with you, seeing and hoping the gospel advance. And then lastly, as well, I'm a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed, that I share. We are co-heirs together in all that is coming. And so uh, he, he doesn't write as one that's over them. He's write as one, he writes as one who's coming alongside them in the ways that they are, knowing that they've been called to shepherd, that they're witnesses to all that has occurred of Christ, and that there is a day coming in which the glory will be revealed that it will all have been worth it, everything that will be worth it. And in doing so, he exhorts them to do something. And he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. There are three words that are used. First of all, you see the word elders. Where you see the word shepherd, it's the word that we use for pastors. And then where you see oversight, it's the word for episkopos or for um, bishops. And so these words are all interchangeable. They're talking about the same people. And so those who lead our congregations are to be those who are exercising oversight, but they're feeding, they're caring for. And so he says to you guys who are leading and notice the plurality of that. Anytime you see in the New Testament, there's always a plurality of those elders. He's not just writing to the one guy at that congregation. He's writing to the men who are serving in that capacity. And he says, shepherd them shepherd the flock all of the pictures that we could have but he chooses this one of shepherd lead them guide them protect them feed them one of the things that you need to notice and something that i've never forgotten in my time is shepherd the flock of god the flock does not belong to the elders the flock does not belong to the shepherds the flock belongs to god and we must never forget that in my time here i've always tried to stress to our elders that we have the opportunity to shepherd God's people according to God's plan in God's power for God's praise. So you are shepherding God's people according to his plans in his power and for his praise. So if you're leading according to his plans and his strength, it's tough for you to want to get the credit for the good that is, that is done. And so you shepherd the flock of God that's among you. You, you look out for them. And it's an important word there, exercising oversight over them, meaning that you are in charge, that elders are in charge. We often don't like to see this, and particularly Baptists. Baptists don't want anyone in charge over them. You know, Baptists is a bottom-up denomination. No one's going to tell us how unhealthy we can be. We'll decide ourselves, right? And so there is no authoritarian. It's, it's one of the things that I do envy about Presbyterian churches that they do have elders who are seeking to recognize other elders. And so the guy who just got saved at Walmart last night doesn't start pastoring the next day at the Baptist church down the street. And so there is something uh, to that. But, but here they are, they are in charge in, in the same way that God allows for parents to be in charge of the home. How many of you think that's still a good idea that God grants for adults to be in charge of the home? How many of you see that when adults are not in charge of the home, the home has problems, right? And we've all seen this. And so in the same way, in his own house, uh, he is able to establish roles. So just as we didn't create marriage, it was created by God. He gets to define it in the same way we didn't create the church. So the most important question is not what do I want out of church? The most important question is what does God say his church is to be? And he defines the roles that are in there. And so he says to these elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And, and there's an important word that I always remind our elders and especially our pastoral staff. You have to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, not the flock you wish was among you. 
You have to shepherd those that he's, he's brought to you. And as you do, you have leadership and responsibilities. And courageous leadership involves reaching out to frustrated members who stopped attending, confronting unrepentant members, dealing with members who post things on social media. Yay! Or it could mean wrestling through staffing strategies, budget challenges, important policies. But in the end, what you're not trying to do as elders is to have an efficient organization you're trying to have a mature body of believers. You cannot lose sight of what the aim is and what we've been called. In Colossians 1 and Ephesians 4, our job description is written for us. We are to move and lead for your maturing in Christ. That's what we are to organize for and to strategize for most. And so he's going to say a word to these elders. He's going to say, you need to take some right actions. And the right actions are lead, but do so as one who cares a shepherd who's feeding and protecting and providing. Not only right actions, but he says right attitudes, right attitudes. He goes on to say then, uh, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Uh, Nothing could be worse for a church than a guy who's eldering but doesn't want to elder. A guy who you have to beg the elder. That's not who we're called to seek as elders. In First Timothy, we're told if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Matter of fact, you recognize elders before they're ever in the office. They are caring. They are leading. They are sharing. They may be leading life groups. They may be leading a ministry without even the title that's there. And so they're doing so willingly in the, in the desire that God has created in them. We don't want people who are serving just because others think they should. Sometimes that happens. There are power plays in churches. Well, you should represent our voice. Well, if a brother doesn't want to represent, you shouldn't try to make that brother represent your voice. And maybe your voice doesn't need to be represented. Is God's voice represented is the most important question, right? And so not under compulsion, but elders who serve willingly. Second, not for shameful gain. Eldering is not for the purpose of building our kingdoms, but his it is not for the purpose of advancing our name and advancing our name or our agenda, but his name and his agenda. And you don't just pastor to pay bills, but you pastor because the most important bill has been paid. And so it is not for shameful gain. Ministry is a place where, where some can be slothful. There's no place for slothfulness in ministry. And it's not for advancing your own name. And we see this. I see it all the time. It's why I sometimes have to get off of social media. Because there is a fine line between building your kingdom and your followers and building Christ's. And on social media, there are guys who use congregations as a platform for their own stuff. That's not what God has called elders to do. The people are the stuff. And you shepherd them for their good and not for your own shameful gain. And then third, domineering over those in your charge. Not to do that, but be an example to the flock. Jesus said... You see how the Gentiles lead. And when they're in charge, everyone knows they're in charge, right? But it's not to be that way with you. You're to be servants. The one who would be first should be last and willing to to serve in this way. You know, as pastors, we are servants, not sovereigns. We are servants. So we don't just dominate that. I'm in charge. Do what I say, people. Do what I say, deacons, right? That's not how it is. We can learn from secular leadership, certainly. There are things we can learn about organization and different skills, but we're not to emulate it completely. 
where we become CEOs of these things and it's our way or the highway. As elders, it's not about demanding people recognize our greatness, but declaring Christ's so they can recognize his. That's what it's about. A plurality of elders is the best, account- best accountability against a sole authority who would abuse such power. You know, I know that some of you are grieved because we're leaving, but as I shared with you on Wednesday night, those of you who were able to be here, all along I've been one vote among eight this year, and that vote always fluctuates on the number of people we have. And I have lost votes, and I have gladly gone along trusting the men that I serve with. And, and so uh, as, as I walk away, I've only been one as a part of many that's in this. And that's, that's why you're, you're not going to see a massive pendulum swing when I leave from here because you already have a plurality of men who have the same convictions and are headed the same direction. And that is one of the best accountabilities against a guy who says, it's what I want to do. I'm in charge here. And problem with that, buddy, you didn't give your life for the church. And you didn't plan for the church. And I am thankful that of the men that I serve with as elders here and the three men that have been nominated, none of those men are those type that dominate and seek to have their own way. Uh, As a word to the elders, two things that uh, I've always tried to remember in shepherding and in serving with the right attitudes. He says, teach with patience. I don't know about you, and especially those of you who are teachers, how many of you find students get it the first time you teach it? How many of you parents have ever repeated a lesson to your children? How many of you parents are fearful you're going to repeat that lesson until you die or they die? Huh? It's been seeing it, right? So I've found that in pastoring, a congregation may not get it the first time, and it's why you're charged to teach with patience, to teach with patience. Second, that your gentleness would be evident to all, not your grouchiness, all right? Now, Tara will tell you there are times where the Hulk comes out at our house, all right? I try to keep Bruce Banner around, and the Hulk makes his appearances. But as elders, the Hulk cannot make appearances, that our gentleness is to be evident to all. And so this is how we can shepherd in the right way. So he says, guys, uh, those of you who are leading in these congregations, elder, lead, be responsibility. Don't be passive. Take responsibility but do so in the right way. So take the right actions with the right attitudes, and then thirdly, with the right ambitions. Elders are to shepherd by always remembering there's both a reckoning and a rewarding that is coming. Look at what he he says in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a reckoning that's going to come. One day the real shepherd of the sheep is going to show up and those in charge that we're in charge of, they're not our sheep. We shepherd under his authority. So again, his plans are ours. His power or ours. His praise or ours. And uh, remember reading several years ago of a, a seminarian who one of the professors knew that this guy wanted a really big church. And he was upset because other people had gotten the really big church. And he said, I know you and your arrogance. He said, you want the really big church. But one day when you give an account to the chief shepherd for those that are entrusted to your care, you will see that you had enough. You had enough. And so there is an account. I never forget Hebrews 13, 17. 
that we are to lead as those who one day will give an account for your souls. There's never been a day in pastoral ministry that I forget it, that knowing that one day the chief shepherd is going to return and to fully claim what's his and to hold accountable those who've led. And for those who lead well, this is, this is what you get. You get the real pastor appreciation gift. Here's what he says. The chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. The highest compliment that Jesus can say to any under shepherd one day is well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what you long to live for. As pastors, we long for the report card, but we just get progress reports. Our report card really comes at the very end. And it will be whether Jesus says to us, well done or not. And that's what you lead toward, receiving that unfading crown. It's a pastor appreciation gift that will last forever. So to my elder brothers uh, that are in the room, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. I remember uh, one of our, uh, there were concerns early on. You know, when I first moved here, there were concerns folks had theologically in our city and folks would stop our people in Walmart to express their, their thoughts on my theological views. And I was excited because people knew my views better than I knew my views. And so it was a sweet experience in Tupelo. Uh, but I remember uh, one person uh, asked, you know, how can we get people to, at these other churches to stop talking about this issue? And I said, that's the wrong question. The right question is, how do we get the people in our city talking about Christ? That's the right question. Elders, you will never be responsible for sheep in other pastures. You will be responsible for the flock that God has given among you and the lost in this city. And so lead with right actions, lead with right attitudes, and lead with the right ambition of one day hearing the chief shepherd saying, well done. This leads us to the second truth in this text. In God's flock, members have the responsibility to submit to elders who are faithfully teaching and living the word. So he says this and all these instructions to the elders. And you should be encouraged by that congregation because they have four verses. You get just one verse, right? And then it's just simple. You can do it. It's easy, right? It begins with, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. How many of you love submission, right? Especially our ladies that we've talked about before, Ephesians 5, some of your favorite verses of submit to the Yehu you married, right? And, and, and it's interesting here. Why, why would he address it, particularly those who are younger? Have any of you met younger people who actually know all things? They actually know all things. They, they know all things now. They know all things about church, and then they grow to be older people who know all things, right? For those who, who never willing to submit to authority and leadership. Here, uh, he writes and says, to those of you who think right now you know everything, what I want you to do is follow the leadership of these who are leading according to the word. And it doesn't mean that it's mute submission, that, that you don't get to have a say. I'm pretty sure that every time elders have made a really big decision here, we've always allowed for a question and answer time. My personal practice has been that if we could communicate so well to you why we were doing this and what we were doing, it actually minimized most questions that people had. And you will always have questions and answer opportunities. So it doesn't mean that you just blindly give in, but if they're leading according to the word, your responsibility according to God is to follow that leadership. To submit to those that he's given you as gifts, as leaders who 
would love you and love his word. I want you to hold your place in First Peter. Turn to that verse I mentioned, Hebrews 13, 17. Turn over there. And while you're turning, I will say to you, yes, if for some reason, which I, I do not foresee, but should the elders ever lead in direct uh, going against God's word, we don't follow them. We don't follow them in that. But if they're leading according to his word, then we gladly and joyfully line up with that. Here's what Hebrews 13, 17 says. A lot of pastors don't preach this because they seems harsh, but they love for someone else to preach it when they visit their church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Imagine if they preach that at the SBC. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so here, the command here, look, obey, follow the leadership. If these are their convictions and they're moving you toward this, if they're teaching you the word, they're living the word, and if they love you, then, then follow through them. I've had people here at Trace, once had a man that we were, some of us were having a conversation with, we walked through biblical passages and after the biblical passages, that man said, well, I can't, I just can't go there. I have nothing to say to you. If you cannot line up with the word, then you and I are never going to be on the same page, right? And so here we want to, to follow the word. And I'm excited about Trace because so many of you, you want the word. And this text here, it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. I want to say to you, you when, when Tara's dad handed Tara to me at the front altar when we got married, he said, she is such a joy. And that is true. Tara is such a joy. She fills our home with warmth and laughter and is a joy. But I want to say to, to you, you are a joy. Whomever gets to be lead pastor here next, you are a joy to pastor. To have people who want the word every Sunday, they will endure series through Ezekiel. They will endure the one-hit wonders of uh, Jude and, and Obadiah. They will endure us walking through 1 Timothy and 1 Thessalonians and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes that you are joy. And I can't say enough to you that uh, I've been so encouraged by the number of you who have written emails or had conversations to say, you know it's going to be okay because you love these elders. You know these elders are leading well. And so many of you have written about that. You were a joy. Remember, it's, it's, ne it's never a benefit to be the one that when the pastor prays, he does so like this, God, they're still emailing me. Oh, they don't want to line up with your word. They don't want to share your word. They just want me to pray more to you. And so he says, follow them and let it be a joy for them. And you have been so for me, and I'm grateful for that. Going back to First Peter now, as you turn back to First Peter, congregation that's a joy are those who know the word, live the word, share the word. But then he has another word for all of us. He says this, clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and here the, the picture is for all of us to clothe ourselves as elders we should never have a boast that we're elders our one boast should be Christ 
something that helps all of us have a proper perspective on humility is 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Humility is being aware of your own insufficiency, but of Christ's all-sufficient power and presence in our lives. And so that we would be humble toward one another. And here's why God opposes the proud. So if you want God to be against you or against Trace, then the best thing to be is be arrogant and demand for your way and your thoughts to be followed. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to those who know they need it. And what a great word, because we need it whether we're the elders who are leading or we're the members who are following. We can both do so only by God's grace. Elders cannot lead by saying, I got this. And members cannot follow by saying, I'll do it. It's insufficient. No, you won't be. There's not enough strength in you. The only way either of us do it is if we clothe ourselves in humility and say, God, we need you for this to be carried out. We need you for this to be lived out. I need you, Father, so that I won't pastor for selfish gain, that I won't pastor in a domineering way. God, I need you. And here's the promise. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those elders who would say, Help me, Elderwell. He will provide. To the members who want to follow along with that, he gives grace. But if you work against him and his word, you will find yourself at odds with a formidable opponent. And he wins. So let me beg you, don't oppose God and his word. I want to close out our time in Acts 20. It's a life passage for me. I shared last week when... When we were in Georgia, the first part of this text, I want to share the back part of the text with us today. It is a time in which Paul has led the church at Ephesus. He was there between two and three years and spent time shepherding. For Paul, that's a lengthy time, considering in Philippi it was only a couple weeks, maybe in two or three weeks. So for him to light in Ephesus for several years, it was the most Paul sort of attached himself to a particular congregation. So he loved them and he cared for them. He knows now that, that God is calling him on to Jerusalem. He says in uh, verse uh, 20 and 21 uh, that testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So I want to say a word here. Paul can't go back to Ephesus, so he has the elders come and meet with him at Miletus, and he's handing off the baton. He says, I can't go back. My time is done there. Now it's your turn. 
It is your time to lead, and these are the ways that you need to lead. This is what you need to be watching for. And then so as he does, he challenges the elders, which gets us to truth number three in your outline, that he encourages the elders to, shepherds have the responsibility to oversee the sheep with attentiveness, to guard the sheep with alertness, and to teach the sheep with great affection. Overseeing the sheep with attentiveness. He says to them, first of all, in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. It is easy for pastors to care for the sheep and not care for themselves. Uh, I have done that in some ways myself. It's why I'm partly in the physical condition because I haven't made it a priority to, to care for myself in those ways. It's easy also to know the right things but not live them. It's why Ezra 7.10 says, Ezra committed to know the word to do it and to teach it to others it is easy elders to sometimes know what to do and to teach that to others and to skip the living part and we're not allowed to do that because paul says pay close attention to yourself it matters what kind of person an elder is not just what an elder believes and so he says pay close attention to you robert murray mcchain would say what my people need most from me is my personal holiness and so What we want to encourage you from this text is he says, look, pay close attention, shepherd the flock that is among you, the words that we've seen. And if you're going to do that, then elders, you have to guard your own godliness. And two, you have to be among the sheep. You have to be living life with them. They need to see not our perfection, but our progress in the gospel. They need to see when we make mistakes. Are we quick to seek reconciliation? Are we quick to put away sins and so he says pay careful attention to yourselves that's not unspiritual one of the most important things for a healthy church are healthy elders healthy pastors and then don't miss what he says he says pay attention to all the flock because sometimes as elders we only want to pay attention to some of the flock we want to pay attention to the ones that we like most the ones that we get along with most the ones that cause us the least amount of trouble But it's not just the healthy sheep, it's got to be the sick sheep as well. Not just the strong, but the weak. Not just the responsive, but the unresponsive. And not just the faithful, but the wayward sheep. The shepherd is to bind up the wounded and correct the sheep who cause trouble. Going after strays and bringing them back into the fold. Always alert. Richard Baxter wrote in 1656... It is, you see, all the flock or every individual member of our charge... To this end, it's necessary that we should know every person that belongs to our charge. For how can we take heed to them if we don't know them? He says, doesn't a shepherd know every sheep? Doesn't a teacher know every individual? Doesn't a doctor know their individual patients as they deal with them? And so don't miss what Paul did. He taught publicly, but he also went house to house because he wanted to present every one of them mature in Christ. And that's what we've tried to stress here. That's why membership is important because we need to know who's in and who's not. And we need to know how all of them growing. You're not called to shepherd just some of the flock, but all of the flock. It's also why Richard Baxter says, if you have a large congregation, then you need enough elders to cover that congregation, or you need to have very small congregations so each one can be cared for individually so that none are skipped, none are overlooked. Well, why would we do this? He says in the text there in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock, And he gives three reasons in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Why would we shepherd in this way? Because the Holy Spirit made you overseers of the church. It's his commission. 
being an elder is not an acquirement, it's an appointment that comes from the Holy Spirit. Two, the Father expects you to care for his church. It's his church. And three, the Son purchased the church with his own blood. The question is, is what's important to the Trinity important to us? And that's what he's saying, that you, you should care. And if God was willing to shed the blood of his Son, then, then we need to be willing to sweat and serve in whatever capacity. And so that we would give watch over them with attentiveness. Second, that we would guard the sheep with alertness. Here's what he says. And this has always been some of the most grieving passages to me as a pastor. Here's what he says. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So wolves are going to come from the outside. But this is the one that's more grieving to me. Verse 30 says, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They're building their own kingdoms. And so wolves are going to come from outside and wolves are going to come from inside. You know, when we, when we got back uh, late Sunday night, Arabella got her braces off Monday morning. Alistair had an awesome flat Stanley project, which I did very well on, and Tara helped me. And, uh, and then the best part is we get to see how we did compared to the other parents the next day at the Learn Affair. You're always like, we beat them, you know. And so... Uh, and then, of course, that night were the tornadoes. And the next day, we found out that uh, Granddaddy and Riri had a tree, you know, in their roof. And, and so if you've ever been around, which we have, three years ago, there were the storms. And then this was a storm. It is not just eight days of hope and Samaritan's Purse that show up when trees are on roofs, are they? There are bros riding around with trucks. And not all those bros have good intentions, do they? They come from, I don't know where, I would say sometimes the pit of Hades. But they come... And you've seen it where they take money from people, but they don't do what they said they were going to do because their concern is not the people. Their concern is, is themselves. And if there are savage wolves that may come from outside, and they may, even as I leave, then it would be unloving for elders not to call them out, not to even name them specifically. I found one time, I named some false teachers specifically, and a, a former member of this church, former is a key, uh, was upset about that because his mom had bought him a book by one of those teachers. And uh, I wanted to say, well, your mom and I need to have a conversation as well. But I find that when most people get upset, it's not theologically, it's personally. Well, mama did this. But if mama is giving them stuff that is not good for their soul, then it is a shepherd's responsibility to say, mama should not have given you that book. Lifeway should not be selling that book right that is the job because wolves will come from outside and there are doctrinal matters that are essential that cannot be dropped the inerrancy and infallibility of the word of god cannot be traded the the life and substitutionary atonement and bodily resurrection and the return of christ we can't trade these out for other things or else we lose the gospel and so there are going to be some who come from outside, but worse, some who come from inside. And it's why we're always moving toward maturity. And it's why Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I gave you the whole counsel. You know the best way people recognize lies? You've given them truth. You've trained them in the truth. So they would say, nope, that's not what the word of God says. That's not what the word of God says. It's one of the best ways that we can do. Let me give you a list of people who warned against false teachers in the New Testament. Jesus, Paul, John, Peter, Jude. All right? And if you want to know one of the warnings in the New Testament, the actual number one warning above all, it's this one. It's false teachers. 
to be on your guard against false teachers. So I put down just a few thoughts for us, and they're there. I put them on your list uh, for you to see in your notes. Here's the first one. Be careful of those who claim to have a word from God, but it doesn't come from his word. I told you, Tara and I were home one day in Baton Rouge, and we're watching a pastor on TV. And he's like, oh, church, I got a word for you. And he, he grabbed his stomach. He said, I feel it right here, right? I feel a word. And he's like, ooh. And so then he, he said it. He said, let me tell you what the word is. He says, your bills can't live. Woo! And he went crazy, and they all went crazy. Some of them started throwing money on the stage. I was like, your bills are in trouble. And so... If you have someone who grabs his stomach and says he has a word from you, that ain't a word from the Lord. The word is when he grabs his Bible and he opens it up and walks through it faithfully. So be careful of those who claim to have a word from God, but it doesn't come from his word. Be careful of those who distort the word rather than faithfully delivering the word. Be careful of those who want to unhinge you from the Old Testament. Be careful of those who want to to go away from what has been handed down to us and all because they want to be creative rather than faithful. God doesn't need creative pastors. He needs faithful pastors. He doesn't need you to invent a message. He just needs you to deliver the one he's preserved and breathed out. So be careful of those who distort the word rather than faithfully delivering word. Those who are faithful and those who are fake can be identified by the same means, fruit or lack thereof. You can tell. That's what... Matthew 7 is all about. In church work, be careful in giving high priority to the complaints of members who are low participants. Those who've demonstrated minimal commitment, despite your pleading, should not always receive our maximum concern. It's amazing people who don't participate in the things of life want to have the most say in things. If you want to have a lot of say, be a part of things. Don't take shots from the outside, right? And so we shouldn't give maximum concern to those who have minimal commitments. Be careful of those who have solutions to problems only they perceive and perpetuate. Man, what a blessing they are. Hey, there's a problem. You are the problem and you keep causing it and I know a solution. It's you, right? And so be careful of those who have solutions to problems only they perceive and perpetuate. Be careful of those who only offer solutions but never sacrifice. You see, that's easy. It's easy to send an email with answers. It's a whole other thing when you sacrifice to work toward answers. Be careful of those who are experts at pointing out the sins of others, but never putting away their own sins. And be careful to make sure those who complain about a lack of unity are not the very ones working against it. Some people, right? Some people tends to be one and the people in front of you, right? And so be careful of these things. Just some words of wisdom. I have others, but we must move on. Lastly, he says, teach the sheep with great affection. Look at what he, he goes on to say here. Then I know these wolves are going to come in, but he says in verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The word admonish there points to actually correcting, but look at how he corrected, he taught. I, I read about a church that, that they fired their pastor and when asked why they did, they said because he kept preaching on hell. And so they were asked, well, do you have another pastor? And the answer was yes. Well, what does he preach on? She says, well, he keeps preaching that people will go to hell too. The difference is with the first one, he seemed glad about it. With the second one, his heart is broken over it. And here Paul taught, but he didn't just teach in a way that was just, here's the word. I I served on a, I directed a camp one summer, and we had a particularly legalistic person who was on that staff, and and she had exercised her spiritual gift one morning when I wasn't in the room, and you could tell it was just like cold water all over, all over the staff when I walked in, and 
she and I had a, a meeting after that, and, and she said, Landon, just sometimes you have to say hard things. Sometimes you have to, people have to hear hard things. And I said, I say hard things to them. The difference between you and I is they know I love them. They know I care for them. And so as elders, we don't just teach truth. We teach truth lovingly. That there's affection, there's, there's tears of wanting you to walk in the word. Teaching the whole counsel so that you can walk in those ways. Which gets us to the last truth. Ultimately, we often say here, nothing is better for God's people than what? God's word. But I want to I amend that for this point here. Ultimately, nothing is better for God's people than God and his word. Look at what he says in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, I'm out. I'm leaving. But in the end, you don't need me anyway. I entrust you to God. And church, I want to remind you today that for a long time, God has been the shepherd. He has always been and will always be. Here's what David said about him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me besides what kind of waters? Still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is, this is how God leads his people. In Ezekiel 34, God said, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. I will shepherd my people. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. In Micah 5, Micah, hearing the word of the Lord, says, But you, Bethlehem, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of his Lord. And then Jesus shows up one day, and he says, I am the good, what? Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So I love it. Paul's leaving and he says, I commend you to God. I entrust you to God. God who has been the shepherd all along will continue to be the shepherd. I've tried to tell you all through the years, the true lead pastor of Trace Crossing is Jesus. That never changes. He's the head of his church and that will always remain. And then he says, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So nothing is better for God's people than God and his word. And so this is what we've seen. 
We are living now the fruit of God using his word in our lives. Where we are as a church now is because God has used his word. God has built us up in his word as we've studied book after book and passage after passage because God's word is living and active and powerful. And so I remember one time being at a Louisiana Baptist convention meeting. What a blessing those were. And uh, being on the executive board and our executive director stood and he said there's no silver bullet to church growth he said but we'd like you to try this program and it was a program by Ken Hemphill empowering kingdom growth and I looked and right in front of me on the table was my bible and I thought to myself I thought this was the silver bullet of church growth I thought this is what God's people need you know what I rejoice in is that when I'm not in this pulpit because there have been times I haven't been in this pulpit you've seen that right over the years But what has been preached in this pulpit when I've not been in this pulpit? The word of God, right? And that is not going to change. And so I commend you to the one who will take care of you more than I ever could have taken care of you. To God and the use of his word in your life. That he will continue to build so that it says here, so that the word of his grace is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. May you never go past the gospel. May you continue to go deeper into the gospel, understanding its implications for our lives and in his word. Hey, I never, I need you to, to bring the baseball back, buddy. This is a small measure of success for us. It survived that whole time. And I, I wanted to do this to give you a, a, a picture. Was this baseball, does this baseball belong to Adoniram? No, it belongs to me. I, I purchased this baseball, right? It was only his to steward for this short time. One day, one day it may be his, but it was his to steward for this short time. And, and even with this picture, what I want to say to you is, you never belonged to me. You were only mine to steward for a time. And that time is, is now done. But who you belong to, you've always belonged to. And I didn't purchase you with the blood of my son, and I didn't plan you from eternity past. The one who did is still present and still cares. You were entrusted to me for a season, and I've sought to be faithful. And here's, here's what I want to say. I thank God because I believe we do look more like Christ today than when we started. I thank God because he's not just graciously informed us. I believe he's transformed us. I thank God because I do believe he's advanced his gospel in us and through us and it has been for the good of our neighbors and the good of nations above all for his glory and I thank God because all along what we've proclaimed is not ourselves that Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as servants for your sake look at how this text ends in verse 36 it says when he said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he'd spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I've got good news. You'll see my face again. But I want you to know this is how I feel for you. There is a weeping and a ripping. There is a knowing that I'm to go. And so I go. But in the New Testament, there's a picture of a a ripping away as as they do so. It's the way I feel because I've shepherded 
of people who it's been a joy to shepherd. I want to call you to respond in a couple ways, and then I'm going to pray over us. Elders, I want to ask you to live the word, teach the word, and continue to line up God's church with his word. Oversee the sheep with attentiveness. Guard the sheep with alertness and teach the sheep with great affection. Shepherd all of them, not just the easy ones, not just the ones that always agree with you. Shepherd all the ones that he entrusts to your care. Shepherd the flock that's among you and not the flock you wish were among you. To all of you as members, I want to ask you to do what the text says, to affirm, to trust, to honor, to pray for, and to follow the godly elders he's gifted you. Uh, that you would submit to them as they submit to Christ and that you will work to preserve the unity and never work against it as you contend together for the gospel. Let me pray for us and then we'll have some songs that we sing in light of his word and then we'll close out our time this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for an opportunity to spend one more time of just serving our people in your word and in, in the text, you tell us what elders are to do and you tell us what members are to do. And so I pray for the grace. In the text, we see that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so may our elders and may our members both be humble to seek the grace they'll need to lead and to follow well. I pray that you will protect them. Perhaps wolves will come from outside. And God, I pray not, but perhaps wolves from inside. And I pray that you would raise up elders who will smack down the wolves. They won't tolerate it. They will protect your people. Grant them courage because conflict is not always easy. But any who would seek to lead people to themselves and not to Christ, they're to be treated as enemies. And so, Father, I pray you would grant wisdom and discernment that the elders will need. That they serve willingly. That they serve not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And that they serve not domineering, but setting an example. And life, love, speech, faith, and purity. Would you grant what they need to, to lead well? Would you help them to pay close attention to all the flock? Because you've made them overseers. You've called them to care for your church. And you've purchased the church with the blood of your son. I commend, Father, these elders to you. That you would use them. That you would... Help them look more like Jesus so they can help our members look more like Jesus. To the members, would you help them to submit, to follow, to trust, to be anxious for nothing? You are going to build your church. There's no doubt about that. Would you help them to, as these men follow your word, to follow gladly? And would you use a church functioning in its different roles for the good of this city? that as elders elder and as members follow through with that, that it would be for the advancement of the gospel. It would be for the shining of your glory. Because who else, who else gives us the strength to do the roles that we're called to do and not just the roles we want to do? If it's healthy, it's because it's been of you. And God, you have answered prayers. I thanked you in our elder prayer time so many prayers we've prayed you've answered you've moved God I've sought to leave for your glory to line up with your word and I have been grieved by every person that left through the years that on this side of heaven we couldn't get on the same page I pray for those that left Trace 
God, would you grant them not to be floating around, but a part of a faith family growing. I thank you for faces of people who showed up at a time when you sent them to dress, who got it. They knew what we were doing and they joined in. They were like-minded. I thank you for groups of elders that dug into your word to see what you say about deacons, to see what you say about baptism, and then to follow through with that. I thank you for deacons that deacon so well that use their gifts. I thank you for clear gospel partnerships that we're not just taking random trips here and there to feel better about ourselves, but you've allowed there to be good order because you've blessed us with the incredible deacon team of missions. Thank you for life group leaders that have faithfully led. They've helped us under shepherd people. Thank you for every Who Will Be King book that we gave out at United Way meetings. Who knows, God, what the story will be told of those one day, of how you use those. Thank you for outreaches like we had recently here at Halloween. Who knows how you'll use those booklets. Thank you for a church that was willing to spend every Wednesday night on Ida Street. That it wasn't about getting people in a building. It was about getting the gospel to people. And they were willing to go and to be there. I pray now that they would be anxious for nothing. For you always lead your sheep. And you shepherd with best in mind, not just good. So may they, with your grace, move forward in confidence. And may we do so with gratitude. I look more like Jesus today because you brought us here. And so we say thank you. Jeremiah had a weeping ministry with very little fruit. Thank you that you've turned so much of our sorrow into gladness. We've sown in tears, we've reaped in righteousness. So God, thank you. Thank you that I'm not leaving because I want to get away from them. Thank you that I'm not leaving because they want me to go away. But because like Paul, he was compelled by your spirit. And so we go. Knowing you will reign there as you reign here. And your plans are always for our best. So we say thank you. Thank you for this season. You entrusted them to me now, Father. I commend them to you and to your word. Build them up. Advance your gospel in and through them. And may it be for their good, the good of our city, the good of this state, and the good of the nations, 
And when the story is told, when the chief shepherd splits the skies, may he say to all of us, well done. And then may he receive the glory for it will all have only been because of his grace at work. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing today.